Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I am your host, Pete Cammon of Elevated Hockey. And today we have our guest, Marty Quarters, head coach of the Wisconsin Rapids River Kings in the USHL Premier League. With me as always, my co-host... Danny Heath of Project Hockey, and I'm pumped. Coach was awesome. It was good to have him on, just his advice and his willingness to admit that what he wished he would have done when he was younger in the coaching ranks is something that I think all coaches should listen to. So I'm excited to dig into this one and and get things going. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think uh, Marty shared a lot of insight into how he approaches his players and how he approaches his season and programs and the culture he instills in his players, which I think is a pretty good one and positive one, a lot of hard work. Uh, and then, you know, he has some, I think he has some awesome advice for upcoming coaches, uh, especially some players and coaches. But I think it's a good one. I think we, we let it roll. Danny, you, got, you ready, to, ready to do this? Fired up. Make sure you cross-check that like button, show us some love, and we'll continue to put out these unbelievable podcasts. So thanks for everyone for tuning in, and let's go. Let's go. This interview was brought to you by our friends at HockeyWolf.com. If you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does, you need to visit HockeyWolf.com today. Hockey Wolf has physical locations in Montana and Washington State, but if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm-up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Originally hailing from Detroit, Michigan, he's been coaching throughout all levels of hockey for the last 25 plus years, including stints at NCAA D1 Merrimack College, Sioux City Musketeers and Des Moines Buccaneers of the USHL, as well as leading teams from the North American Hockey League, WSHL, NORPAC, Minnesota Junior Hockey League, USPHL, as well as stints with AAA teams, including Cleveland Barons, Little Caesars, and Honey Bake programs. He was the USPHL Coach of the Year in 2017 and is widely regarded as an excellent scout, recruiter, and developer of hockey talent as demonstrated by his numerous player advances to higher levels of junior hockey, NCAA, and pro careers. He's currently heading into his seventh season as the head coach and GM of the Wisconsin Rapids River Kings, the USPHL Premier League. Marty Quarters, welcome to Let's Go Hockey Podcast. How's it going today? Yeah, it's time to sign off after that and. that's uh that's one heck of an intro uh let's let's jump right in just to the idea of like your hockey background he coach camera here touched on a few of the high points but talk to us about your background your career in hockey and how you got you got the prestigious invite to come on the let's go hockey podcast (laughs) well i coached with um i I met pete i moved out to uh bozeman after i left merrimack college and Bozeman's probably the only place I ever moved to where it was more living and location, um, quality of life versus coaching and the job opportunity. Um, I went out to Bozeman when I was um, in the USHL with Sioux City. Uh, Bozeman um, had a showcase and we all went out there to scout the NA players. And I just thought this was a really great town. I knew the coach there, John LaFontaine. I'd sent some players there and I thought this is a place I would love to live one day. And um, so that's how I met Pete. Um, We coached the high school team together and then I was assistant with the junior team. And then the following year um, I took over the Yellowstone Quake, um, the hack and whack Norpac. And we Mm -hmm. put together a a team that was in last place and we went finished first, but we moved a bunch of guys on, which is always the goal of um, coaching at any level is trying to, develop your players, make them better than, um, than they ever thought they could be and try to make your players better than all the other players on other teams. And then if you focus on that, hopefully they have an opportunity to, to reach their goals and get to the levels they're trying to get to. So um, that was kind of how I met Pete. And then he coached with me when we were over at Cody as well. 
before he left for Alaska in the middle of the season. And he went over there for, um, I think, uh, six or nine months to do roller hockey. Africa. Africa. What did I say? Alaska. A little different. Alaska. Yeah. Both are like different. Yeah. That's cool. Well, yeah. So that was kind of um, how, how I got together with Pete. And then we stayed in contact and we've always talked since then. And he actually married me and my wife, who I met in Bozeman. Pete was our, uh, um, proceeded over our, our wedding and our vows. And um, so it runs a little bit deeper than this coaching. Yeah, so Marty and I go way back. I was the official, like he said, officiant at his wedding and stuff. But we, I learned a lot from Marty. He was my, my one of my kind of first, you know, I, I coached with John LaFontaine one year and then with Marty the next. And, you know, those were the first two coaches I like, really learned from a lot of my game. Coaching now is it, I draw from my experience with those two seasons and, and actually two seasons spent with Marty. So, um, so this is a good one for me too. But Marty, why don't you go back a little bit earlier and, and talk through how you started in AAA and like when when that point was where you needed like you knew that because um, I knew you grew up playing hockey. But like when did you make that switch of like you know I'm going to make hockey my life and my career and coaching is going to be my career as you're starting to climb the ladder. Um, you, you know it's yeah, it's kind of a it, it's every story is unique in their own way. And people think their stories are always very unique. So um, I actually went to Ferris state to play baseball. Um, my best friend is Mike Hartman and he was already playing in the NHL at 19 years old. And um, uh, you know, so I was a little bit more realistic with my hockey goals because growing up with, with, you know, someone that I grew up with since we we're seven and he was like looked at as probably one of the top players in, you know, North America and the U S and he went, he went the OHL route. So I I focused a little bit more on baseball. I went to Ferris to play um, baseball. I ended up um, uh, leaving Ferris after two years. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And um, I got invited to try out in the East coast league um, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I went through that and it was more for an experience than anything. I had a couple buddies on the team and skating and training in the summer with, with uh, my friends that played a real high level led to that invite. And, um, you know, uh, it didn't work out. And then I wasn't sure what I was going to do if I was going to go back to school. And I ended up moving to Dallas, Texas. And my brother had uh, bought a liquor store. And I started working for him. And um, but I always had my hockey bag with me wherever I went, because I would play men's league or, or whatever. And um, uh uh, my buddy Hartman came down and visit me in Texas and he was playing for the, he just got traded to Winnipeg Jets. And he said, Hey, like, um, you play in the men's league here. We should do a hockey school. And we ended up doing a hockey school. I think we called it face off hockey. And we did it with all these kids in, in Dallas, Texas. And Mike brought two rookies with him from Winnipeg, um, that were young players just getting, getting involved in NHL, Chris Draper and Keith Kajuk, Keith Kachuk. Walt came down. Never heard of him. Yeah. And uh, two, two decent guys, right? So they came down and they were young. Like Draper didn't last in Winnipeg. He got traded to uh, Detroit for a dollar. And um, and uh, Keith Kachuk, you know, went on and had one of the best careers ever as an American hockey player in NHL. And now it's now his family and what they're doing. So we started this hockey school. And I just felt like, as a kid, we, I used to go to Cooper hockey camp in Oakville, Ontario, which times have changed so much. We used to take a train from Windsor in Ontario. We were from Detroit. So we drive over the border, take the train, get picked up at uh, the station in, in Toronto. And the counselors would pick us up. I mean, we were like 11, 12, 13 years old. I mean, so imagine Pete, you have kids now. Could you ever imagine sending your kids on a train by themselves you know, they go up to So yeah, it's a different world now. But we used to go there and go to hockey school. And I, I actually, when I went to hockey school, it was a really demanding camp. There was a guy named um, Bill Hayward that ran the power skating. He was one of the first power skating coaches for an NHL team in Toronto because things were different. But at our camp was all really good players. We had like Shane Corson. We had a Neil Carnes who died tragically, but he was a first round pick to Montreal. Um, this, a number of guys, our counselors were like Steve Conroy who played in the NHL. And, um, there's another guy there who's the head of central scouting now. So it was, it was great hockey camp. They worked us really hard. It was very disciplined. And a lot of the things that I learned at this hockey camp, I carried on with me once I got into coaching because my coaching growing up wasn't necessarily that same high level. So when Mike 
came to Dallas and said, hey, let's do a hockey camp. It's, it was like second nature for us because we grew up this loving going to hockey school, playing hockey 24 hours a day, you know, and like most kids do. And um, uh, that kind of gave me my uh, – it, it I felt really comfortable on the ice doing drills, setting up the on ice, the off ice, how we ran things. And it's just something that came easy to me. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do at that time. I thought I was going to go back to school and finish my teaching degree. So I ended up moving back to Detroit. And I worked, uh, Mike Hartman had another camp that he started, his own hockey school, and I worked that for him. And that led to, um, at the end of the camp, someone asking me if I was interested in coaching a AAA team that was called AFI. And it was kind of a renegade AAA team. Um, and this guy that ran it had a lot of money, and he had a, a company, his name was Mike Pomish, and his kid played on the team, who was a year younger. And... Um, I started coaching with him. I went out the first time on the ice. You know, he's like, hey, do you want to help out? I can give you a job. I was going to school at the same time. And that was kind of what, what led to the AAA team because our AFI team, even though we were like a renegade, not a big sponsor team in Detroit, we had, we had some really good players. We had Tim Gleason. We had Chris Vanarski. We had Todd Bentley. We had uh, Jason Bacashua. I mean, these are guys that are first-round picks and – second round picks right. in the NHL eventually and um, Robbie Kolopke and guys like that. And um, after the first year, halfway through the year, Pomish had said to me, listen, you seem to be really good at this. Why don't you become a co-head coach with me? And then after that season, we beat little Caesars all the time. So they called us up and said, why don't you take over our franchise? It was the 82s. And that was kind of how I got started. So I coached that age group for four years. I ended up I was like 24 when I started. I was a young coach. Um, we worked really hard on skill work. Skating was always a big part of my teaching. Um, keeping the mm -hmm. game really basic and simple. Um, I happened to work at Compuware um, Ice Rink in Oak Park, which is where I'm from, uh, sharpening skates. Me and my two buddies, they were both in dental school. They're both very successful now. I should have followed their path. Um, but we sharpened skates. And um, I used to be able to watch all the other practices like CompuWare and things like that. And um, CompuWare had teams like Ryan Miller was playing there and Dave Laguan. So you see some really great players in Detroit. But I also got to see practices that I didn't agree with. So the team in our age group was a CompuWare team that was loaded up with Chad the Rose and a bunch of players. And they were like the top team in Detroit. But when I watched their practices, they had all these face-off plays. They had all these different forward checks. And these kids are only 11, 12 years old. And there's a lot of standing around. And it just encouraged me to be um, to stick to the path that I thought we should follow in developing players. So long and short of it, we had that team for four years. Um, we weren't the best team when we started. Most of our kids got cut by other teams, like Jimmy Slater when he came and played for us. And in the end, we ended up having seven NHL draft picks, four first-rounders. We had guys that were captains of Michigan State, Lake State, Notre Dame, um, just to name a few, few of them. And, um, you know, we had a guy play 800 games in NHL, another guy play 600 games. So I, I believe in how we did things is the way to do it. Keep the game simple. Keep the game basic. Never get away from skating and skill work. And, and yeah. do it with enthusiasm and passion every day. And that hasn't changed. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's such a huge part of it and like goes back to what you said at the beginning, like make them better than they ever thought they could be. And when you talk about like bringing a program from scratch or some of the teams that you played with that you were in last place and you took them to first place, what, do, you, do you attribute it to that? It's just like keeping the game simple and, and making sure we're working on skill level or is there, there are other things that you want to kind of walk us through your thoughts on building programs from uh, zero to hero basically? Yeah, I, I think the game's a simple game. Like, um, like I'm sure you play with guys in, in the USHL in college that some of the guys that were the smartest guys in the room weren't the smartest hockey players because they overthought the game too much. And then some of the guys that, you know, are pretty simple, you know, were really smart hockey players because they kept it simple. And, like, yeah. I have right here next to me, um, we're getting ready to do our, our program books and everything. Our season starts, our players report Tuesday. And I have task at hand, which is a big thing, you know, how to really focus on getting your, your, your concentration narrow and focus on one thing at a time. 
And I think that's, yeah. and, and um, not overcomplicating the game. Like the game's changed a little bit. Now guys encourage one-on-one play where it used to be turn every situation to a two-on-one, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that part's changed, but you still need to be able to skate. You still need to be able to handle the puck and you still need to be able to uh, be, you know, counted on to do what needs to be done. Um, yeah, and I, for sure. The more you can keep the game simple, the easier it is to understand. And like, come on, let's face it. If you keep your puck away from your net and you keep it closer to their net, you're going to win more games than you're going to lose. So yeah. in those terms, like why overcomplicate it? You know, when I got to college, I couldn't believe how overcomplicated some of these coaches made the game, like playing top teams and their breakouts. They would have like five passes that meant nothing on their break. And I'm like, that was a waste, you know? Yeah, I've even, that's for sure. Yeah. I've even seen it where coach has a different forecheck depending on what line they have on the ice. And it's like, Holy cow. What if half the lines on the ice and then you get stuck in these bad places and, I was talking to someone today who didn't know anything about hockey and I was like, yeah, let's get you on the ice. He's like, he's like, well, I don't know how to stop. I was like, you don't have to stop if you always have the puck. And he, he's like, ah, I guess you're right. And like the idea, like you don't have to always over compliment or complicate things is it's spot on. And obviously that takes a, a certain type of player to commit to that and buy into that. And now, I mean, you see all these crazy things all over the place. And so how, how do you, where do you find your players, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Like, through your scouting, where do you like to find them and what do you like to see that they have before they get to you? You know, well, what they need is they need to have a high compete level or else it's a waste of time. You know, if you're not – if you don't want the puck more than the next guy, then, you know, you shouldn't be a hockey player in my eyes. So you got to be able to compete. Um, I always said there's three things you look for. One, you got to be able to skate. That's what stands out the most. Um Number two is the compete and, uh, and the hockey, hockey uh, IQ. Um, and then the three is, you know, they have some skill as well, especially nowadays you need some skill. So, you know, you need those three things right there. Um, sure. So that's what I've always looked for. At my, you know, it's tougher. I'm at a different level. When, when you're in the USHL, you're, you're identifying, you know, you're recruiting. You don't really need to recruit that heavily except for the really top kids. Like when we were getting – Sam Gagne to come play for us in Sioux City. I had to spend a lot of time, you know, with his family and to convince a Canadian boy to come over and play that's going to be a first-round draft pick. But for the most part, you just need to be able to identify players. And then when you get to the North American League, you need to identify, and then you need to be able to recruit to and sell your program. And then at our level, it's more of um, – it's really hard because you get told no more. It's uh, – you know, you have to go after way more players to, to fill your roster. It's not so much of a draft. It's more of a contract and a pay-to-play. So, you know, it, it's, it's – every level is a little different. You just have to find what works. And I think the, the main thing that works is outwork everybody, you know, at whatever level you're at. Just try to outwork them. And then if your players see that you're working that hard and you care that much, they're going to work hard as well. So yep. you can – Hastings could push his players really hard because they knew that the outcome was going to be worth it. They knew they were going to be better. They knew the team was going to be better. And they knew if, if, if you took care of the team, he would take care of you. And you played for sure. you probably no more than me. I'm just talking from an opposite bench. So um, I think that's the yeah. key thing is, is uh, getting guys that are, um, that are going to compete hard and work hard. And you can, you can really mold players when they bring those two qualities with them. So, Martin, you just mentioned those qualities in those players that you you work with. So, I've got two thoughts on that. One, um, you know, how does that your viewpoint on that change, if at all, between the different levels from tier three, tier two, tier one, college hockey, or any of the pro guys that you've worked with in the past? Like, does that those three skill sets that you work on change much throughout the season? And then, can you give some examples of of some of the the ways that you really instill those three habits in your players? Well, you know, it doesn't matter what level you play at to be a good teammate, right? So, like, if you're going to play a team sport, you're going to – number one is being a good teammate. So you get guys to buy into the team. You buy into the culture, buy into the brand that you're trying to, to produce. And, and in my eyes, it should always be based off, number one, hard work. If, if you want to be better than someone, then you better outwork them. 
if you feel you're better than someone and you don't want to lose that person, you better outwork them. So it's pretty simple, you know, and, and you get guys to understand that, you know, to be the very best they can be so they can look at the mirror and feel good about themselves when they go to bed at night is that they're going to outwork everybody. And that's one thing you're in control of, you know, too many kids nowadays worry about things they're not in control of. Like, how come I'm not getting this ice time? Well, listen, why don't you focus on the ice time you are getting, you know, things like that. You know, all these kids say nowadays, well, I want, I want, you know what, how about go earn, earn it. And that's the things we preach in our team, in our locker room. You know, like we try to get our guys from day one to understand, to live your life in a way that you give more than you receive. When you do that, you're a great teammate. You're a great husband. You're great in your community. And, and once they understand that and they buy into that and, it, and it, how it makes them feel, they have such more of an enriched life when you, when you learn to live that way. And that's what being a teammate is. That's what playing a, good, uh, playing a team sport is, giving more than you want for yourself. And um, so we preach that in our locker room. We preach getting your fingernails dirty every day. So come the weekend, you've earned those points. No one's given it to you. And that's one of the things that my coaching has changed a lot. I don't know if it's so much being at different levels, but just the way that the world has changed. And we, we deal with kids nowadays that want instant gratification. They just think because they want it, they should get it. And um, my coaching has been a little bit more of an emphasis on, you know, earning it, learning how to earn things. Because then when you get them, you enjoy them that much more, you know. So I guess that, that's a little bit of a change. There's not too many kids in the USHL where you really have to tell them they need to earn it. You know, they're already, they're already on that path and, and – and they know if they're not going to work hard, it's, it's such a fine line. So, um, but at our level, it's teaching those kids to, to get out of their comfort zone on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's a lesson that translates off the rink too. I mean, part of junior hockey is not only just becoming better hockey players, but getting to be better people too, right? And so you're setting these, these players up for success in the classroom or in life as, you know, fathers or husbands or, or whatever, you know, in their careers. I think that those are valuable lessons. But, you know, I, one thing I know about you, Marty, is that you have a, a really strong track record of, um, you know, not only finding these kind of like diamonds in the rough players that maybe aren't on other people's radars, but then putting them in your programs and advancing them on to higher levels. You know, guys that maybe other people would have passed on and not thought that they had the potential to, to move up. And then all of a sudden they're working with you for a season or two and they're getting looks at, you know, higher tier two, tier one junior teams or, or the NCAA level. So can you talk about maybe giving a little insight into, um, you know, what you're doing from a development standpoint and, and maybe you've already touched on it between the, the, the work ethic and, and some of the skill development, but you know, these players that are getting opportunities, uh, and you're promoting these players to higher levels. Let's, let's talk about that for a few minutes and kind of your viewpoint on, on moving players on beyond, you know, and off your roster, even if it's mid season. Yeah. I, that's a trick. That's a tricky question because everyone sees things differently, you know, but they, but they still see everything the same as well. So I was watching the game last night and I just remember um, going to Michigan. I'm from Michigan. So I always had, that was always, you know, our team and Cody, what do we have? 12 kids from Michigan on our team. We brought out the Cody, Wyoming. None of them knew where Cody, Wyoming was. And um, worked out great for all of them, except for the one kid that, that quit early. <laughs> but um, uh, Sandu, I think his name was. But it's just, I think, I don't know. It, it's tough. Like, I had a lot of success in Sioux City and in Cleveland as well, recruiting, because I had a really good understanding of the type of player that those two head coaches wanted. And they were both Canadian guys, and they were both kind of blue-collar type of teams. So that fit in well. Um, you know, so we had more of those type of kids that might be like Michigan or Illinois kids versus maybe Minnesota kids just that fit their style of play a little bit more. So, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, it's a hard thing to really – I've always thought about how do you know – like what do you see in that player that – that you didn't see in someone else. And I, I mean, I'm wa so I'm watching the game last night and I'm watching Ian Cole. And I remember going to Michigan States um, and we're waiting around for the, for the Bantams and the midgets to start playing and all the scouts are in the room and we're watching the Adam, the Adams are playing the sports and Ian Cole is out there and he's an underage player on CompuWare's like youngest team at States. And 
um, I remember I said that John Kissel was, he was the director of Compware at the time. And I said, Kissel, I go, who's, who's this kid number? He was like number 28 too or something, which is his number now, which is kind of weird. But um, he goes, oh, Marty, you're already scouting the young guys. And I was just thinking like, no, but like, if you're the head of the program, I think you would know a kid that stands out that much that's younger than everyone else. But for whatever reason, I've always liked Ian and I always thought he was a really good player. So much so we brought him to Sioux City and offered him a contract um, to play for us when he was 15, a year before the U.S. National Development Team started for him. And we, uh, we were actually going to take him over Stephen Camfer, who's another kid from Michigan. And uh, Ian actually turned us down because he wanted to play in the national program. And he was from Ann Arbor as well, right in his own backyard. So why, you know, why did he jump out to me? So, I mean, those are the easy ones when they're really that much better, but I don't know, Pete, it's just whenever I took notes on a kid and if I went back and I, and I kept on taking notes on them, they just always seem to end up being the player that maybe wasn't known yet, but eventually ends up being a good player. doesn't mean I'm right all the time, but. I can't really put my finger on it, but the compete level is really important. Being able to skate, having that hockey mindset too. I mean, I've had some guys that were unbelievably skilled and they have the saying, all the tools and no toolbox. So um, it's tough to say, but there is, there are players that I like and that I really believe in that have turned out to be really good players that might've been under the radar when I first saw them and why that happens. I don't really know. I'm not too yeah, sure. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that on the show well now, and I know that that's kind of a consistent thing is that you're able to find those players. But, you know, also your own play, you know, those players are able to move on, which I, I think is an important part. But you, you touched on something, you know, you're seeing you're taking notes on these kids as they're you're coming up the program. You really, I mean, you're, you're rattling off names of players from years ago. You have a good memory. But I, it brings me to my point, like, you're one of the more organized coaches I've ever worked with. And you know, I want to touch on kind of your thoughts on season planning, because I know you've done it a little bit differently than other people, um, or maybe more kind of in-depth season planning. Can you kind of give us a, like, you know, we're about to start a new hockey season here. From a coaching perspective, what do you have slated for your team or, or past teams, if you don't want to talk about what you're doing this season, but like from a season plan, how do you address that? A lot of those long, those long car rides are really good for that. But no, all, all, all kidding aside, I think you have to, identify the type of team that you have, you know, and, and like this year is probably, probably the oldest team I've, I've maybe have ever had in juniors. Um, usually I've always had young teams and this year we have nine, we could en- end up having 11, 20 year olds where last year we had three. So, um, you know, um, with, with that goes into a little bit of our planning, you know, um, but I like to do our seat. I like to do like a whole season plan, um, you know, on, on a book with a calendar and kind of put down. And I, I like to break the season down to three parts. Um, the early season, um, which is a little bit more emphasis on um, um, conditioning and get, getting your, your basic habits down. And then the mid season is when you're really starting to fine tune your system and, and your power play and, and penalty kill and stuff like that. And then, and then the end of the season where you're kind of doing a check on players and make sure how healthy they are, who needs to play more, who needs to play less, and then maybe changing a couple little things coming to playoff time. So I break it down to three parts of the whole season. And then I like to do every month, I like to kind of do a plan of the season and just write in how my days are going to be. And then I do a weekly plan every week, um, which is really a big thing because that's a buildup for games coming up. And then I do a daily practice and I write that up, you know, every night. I never show up at the rink and say, Oh, we'll see how we, what do you, what do you think we're going to do today, boys? You know, that's not, that's not who I am. So I have to write out a practice and I might change it, but I have it. And then I post it up and, and I, I save all those too. I started that in Cody saving all my practices. Yeah. I remember that. So why don't you give an example of a week? Like how do you ramp up to game time in one week? So like uh, a full week, um, uh, Monday is going to be, um, we're going to do some basic skating, you know, some jumping and working our edges, really big on quick starts, really big on seeing how fast we can get to full speed and then how quickly we can recover to get the full speed again. Those are things that are really big into my teaching. Um, not just skating to skate, you know, skating with a purpose, skating to explode out of your, out of your um, skates and now make plays at a high speed is a new thing. 
So, um, so Monday is a lot of skating. Um, and then we'll get into, um, we might do some competition on Monday. We'll get some, some good flow going, um, get our hands going, get our legs going, but more of a grind on Monday, pretty much. Um, and then Tuesday would probably be me more of, um, like a D zone day where a lot of, I, I believe in doing a lot of drills that progress into how you want your team to play. So we're not just standing in a corner, all sitting on one knee doing D zone. We'll, we'll do some, some drills that relate to that relate to, you know, um, some flow drills that relate to finishing your check on the D. So the D now, one of the new things with defensemen is everything you should do with them should be under pressure. So they're going back under pressure, and then as they're making outlet passes, they're getting up into play because that's the new day and age where you're attacking four, almost five players now. So we kind of add that in, um, and then we'll work on, you know, some good D-zone positioning, talking, how to break out of the D-zone. And then I would say um, Wednesday would be um, a little bit more offensive, more of attacks, um, a little bit more on our four check. Um, my four checks have changed a little bit where – your four check is really what F1 does. So you read off of F1 and where the puck goes. Instead of you go first guy hits, second guy goes to the wall, third guy's high. If they go D to D, now the third guy becomes F2, things like that. So we work on that really big on communication. And then Thursday is going to be um, not really a walkthrough, but a really good pace and really good positive energy. As the week goes on, we're going to be really hard. But as, as the week progresses, we're going to be more positive towards the end of the week, building up for um, – that's the goal at least. <laughs> it doesn't always happen that way. But <laughs> leading up to the weekend, so you go in feeling really fine-tuned, feeling like you know what we need to do. We're going to do continuous breakout. We're going to do our power play breakout. We're going to do power play penalty kill. Then we're going to do a couple fun flow drills that have crashed in the net. And then we're going to do a shootout. And then we're going to play Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday is going to be a day off, but you still need to get a bike ride in. And then um, Monday, if we sweep the weekend, Mondays are great because then we do east-west. Um, but we do our east-west with every game is a one-goal game and it's three-on-three. Three. So if you lose, you go blue line back. If you lose the second game, you go blue line, red line back, and it keeps adding up. But it makes it really competitive because I know when I was in Sioux City and we did east-west on Monday, they didn't play hard until game seven. So I changed that up where now you got to play hard every game. And it's three on three, and we're a really good three on three team, I think, because of that. So that's kind of our weekly plan. Off ice, we're going to do, um, we're going to probably work our legs pretty hard on Monday. Um, Tuesday, we're going to probably do a really good circuit training. Thir um, Wednesday is going to be more of upper body. Thursday is going to be a, a really good team stretch and ab workout. Um, Monday is actually boxing day. So, and then, um, you know, that's kind of in our weekend, we've gotten more into post game workouts as well with our players where they get up and they ride the bike and they, they sweat it out even before they, they leave the rink and things like that. So I don't know if that's. No, that's exactly what I was looking for. You see, you just ran Did you ever, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off camera, but the shootout, do you take part in the shootout and any big wins for you? I used to, <laughs> but I'm fat now. I, I, never, I never used to do anything that my guys, that I didn't make my guys do. But then yeah. like I got Timmy Gleason, I got Chris Vinarski, I have, Jimmy Slater, I mean, if you ever saw those guys skate at 11 years old. So when I started my yeah. hockey schools back then, those guys would be my demonstrators, and that's when I started to get fat because then they, <laughs> they did all the quick starts and all the bag skating and all that stuff. So oh, I, love awesome. it. I have a quick interjection. When, when Marty, years ago, you know, it was 11, 12 years ago, you and I coached together, and I jumped into one pregame skate. I did one drill, and I toe-dragged between the legs of the, the defenseman and scored. And I never did another drill the entire season. So the kids had <laughs> no, yeah. no idea. <laughs> Couldn't let them know the truth about me and not know where I was. But I will tell you one thing, Danny, in a shootout, I do like to add in like uh, the Vegas style shootout, things like that. So makes the guys a little bit more competitive, things like that. We do, you know, the one, we, we don't always just do the same shootout. And then we, if we do do it where there's a winner, we usually have, um, t-shirts from Howie's hockey and stuff like that for winners. So we try to make it, make it exciting before Christmas. We'll tape some money up on the glass. So some, you know, if, it, if it's more of a line shootout, so they have some money for, for some uh, Christmas spending money and things like that. So. 
Compete. It's all about competing. I'm with you. And we do other things too. Like after practice, we'll turn off the lights and, and play, you know, Chucky Slick song or a song that I think is really good for them. So they kind of leave in the ice before the weekend, you know, with that, that yeah. being the last thing they do. Um, and then we also do a lot of, we do video and we do, um, we do a scouting report breaking down what the other team does going into the weekend and then how we're going to counter that. Um, but my video is never more than nine minutes because I think it can be too much. So, yeah, yeah that's agreed. an important piece, keeping it short. So, Marty, what, how does that change on uh, playoffs? And, and I know in the past you've, you've sent me texts before about, like, your playoff vis- visualization board and stuff like that. Can you talk us through how you, you prep your team for different backgrounds? Yeah, like our last month going into uh, playoffs, we'll do something like this. He's grabbing something. I had this on my board from last year. So we'll do this for the guys. And it kind of breaks down the last month and we're, what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go and what the practices are pretty much going to be like. And we have we make we blow this up and make it really big so it covers our whole board when they come in. And then we, you know, X off the days. So it's kind of a countdown to the end of the season. And then we also put numbers up on the wall up high that we, we mark off every number as uh, we had to get the nationals and we put, you know, a, uh, things up and everyone's, yeah. alive, you know, go on. That's a great, great visual. We'll have to have producer Vinny cut that one up and throw that on Instagram. So if you're just listening to this podcast, make sure you jump on our Instagram, or our Facebook and check out that board. And we'll see if we can get a picture from you after coach and, and post all that stuff. So that's uh, I think visuals are huge, especially in today's game. Yeah. We had like, we had it one year. We had, we put in everyone's stall when they come in, like, and we'll put playoff stuff all around the rink. So, every when they're in the stalls and they're in the showers, they see the cup, you know, on playoff starts. Yeah. In that mode, we have it's a meeting. A season. To it. Yeah, it's a whole new season, right? And everything was a dress rehearsal come playoff time. And um, we'll have yeah. we had ain't no thing until you get that ring, and we had the ring. So when everyone came in for the first day to start playoffs, we had it taped up in all their stalls and and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. So I think that's all important. You know, you can't, if you don't see it, you can't achieve it. So. Yeah. I think those little tiny things are huge. And speaking of those little things that that make a huge difference, what's, what's some advice that you might have for hockey players, specifically youth hockey players that are aspiring to, to make it to junior hockey, college hockey, NHL. Do you have any advice that, you know, might get beyond a little bit of like, just, just have fun. Cause obviously that's a huge part of it. If you don't enjoy it, it's going to be tough. But is there something else, some type of advice that you could give to some of our, our youth hockey listeners? I, I really think people waste a lot of time on worrying about things they have zero control over. So I think you need to really figure out what you can control on how, and, and that has to do with how to make yourself better. And really, we tell our players, you only can control three things in life. You know, what you put in your body, how much rest you get, how hard you're willing to work. So if you're trying to make it as an athlete, or in anything in life, really put your focus on what you can control. Because worrying about things that are not in your con- – I mean, like I said earlier, guys complain about ice time, this, that. You have no control how much ice time you get. But when you do get ice time, you have control now. So you have to have the right mindset. And that's like the kind of task at hand. So really learn how to narrow their focus down, really learn how to set goals for themselves. And, and not just the big goals. Learn to set – daily goals. Like with our team, it's demanded from them that when they get up in the morning, they make their bed first thing. And then they have a glass of water. That's how they start their day. And, and then, you know, you try to have breakfast to kick it off and really big on teaching nutrition. But if you don't do your first task from the, from the get go, your whole day, you're, you're swimming against the stream. And right. you know, that's, those are the things that I think you need to focus on setting goals for yourself, setting realistic goals and setting goals, how you're going to accomplish them and then controlling what you can control. Like if you don't make a team, you can't control that, but you can control how hard you train and what your focus is when you go out for that next team. Yeah, that's huge. And that's something that youth hockey players can do as far as like even youth hockey coaches, which is what I'm going to ask you about next, but a little thing that they could do, right. Is like, Hey, we're a team. We're all gonna, you gave the example of making your bed or we're all going to drink six glasses of water this day. And it's huge. I mean, you, you do control what you eat and how much rest you get and how hard you work and building off that 
what advice do you have for hockey coaches in regards to just player development and helping getting their players to junior hockey? Well, the first thing is you got to, you got to be organized. You got to have a plan, right? And then, and then you have to treat every day with enthusiasm. Like you should never, you know, you're working with your players. Everyone should love the game. Every, I'm, I'm talking to you guys because of the game of hockey. I know Pete because of the game of hockey. I know my wife because of hockey. So it's something I take really serious. I really respect the game. And I think that's something you want to give that love to your players too and how you treat it and how you carry yourself is important. So um, if your players know that you really care about them and, and you want what's best for them, and you can't, you can't fake it. Either you do or you don't. Um, and if they know you do, you can push them really hard and you can get a lot out of them. So remember that they're a sponge and what you're going to share with them and what you're going to demand from them is going to last with them for a long time. So, so be really cautious and be really professional and respectful on, on how, you, uh, how you go about handling your players and then work hard for them. Like when they're done playing for you, that doesn't mean like, hey, you know, see you later. Make phone calls for them. If you believe in them, write letters for them for jobs for down the line and and, you know, same thing, guys trying to get into college, just because a coach tells you, no, it doesn't work out. If you know your player really wants to go there and that player worked really hard for you, don't give up. Like still call that coach back and say, hey, I know you said you didn't, you didn't have room, but did anything else open up? And, and when you do that for your players, your other incoming players will hear those stories too. And they'll, they'll, they'll work really hard for you. And I think it's so important, like, um, don't ever ask anyone to give you or do anything for you if you can't give them back anything in return. So I'm like that with my sponsors and I, and I'm like that with my players. No, I love that. I think that's, that's great advice. And you're exactly right about that. You know, when you're caring for your players, the players are smart. They know it, it's a trickle down. They, they realize how much effort you're putting into them and they're willing to give that back. And it translates, you know, not only onto the ice, but, but into next seasons down the road and in those, those players lives too. So I think that's an important thing. Um, what about, you know, coaches, you know, Marty, you've had a successful career at a multiple different levels. What kind of advice would you extend to a coach that's has aspirations of making hockey into a career for them and trying to climb that coaching ladder? Um, you know, if you could speak to that, a, a younger coach starting their hockey career uh, or coaching career, what, what advice would you lend to them? Well, you know, I can just tell what I did, you know, and I didn't, I didn't play college. I didn't play in the minors. So a lot of guys saying, and, um, and you guys probably see it a lot of times in hockey, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, so it, it's a tough road. I mean, the pro hockey the, I think I saw a stat where it's like 80 some percent of upper management and coaching are all former players. Um, it's the one sport where it's really, you know, if you're a former player, you have a much easier goal of it than, than some of these other sports. Um, so, you know, make good contacts. Um, you know, uh, that's one thing I wish I would have done a little bit more was, was maybe build a little bit more relationships. I made some really good friends and stuff, but I was a little bit so focused on just trying to get to where I was trying to get to and prove myself that I think that's advice I give my son, like try to, try to build more, more of a network for yourself and more contacts. I think that's huge. Um, what I used to do is I used to, my hockey bag was with me all the time. So, um, like Chris Corey was a legendary coach in Detroit. Like he doesn't really like me because I took a player from him one day, but back (laughs) in the day, like I would be like, Chris, can I come to your practices? You know, when, when I was sharpening skates at Compware, if there were no skates lined up, I would ask, you know, the, the 80 coach, it was Frank Warner at the time, can I come out, just move pucks so I can see what you guys are doing. And I think doing stuff like that, try, I, I try to work um, many different hockey schools before I started my own hockey school to see how they did things and try to learn more. Like, um, and when, when I would go to a rink, like I would really try to, some of the best advice I got was, and it's from my buddy Hartman, he's like, when you go to a game, sit across from the benches so you can watch how, you know, coaches handle their benches, watch how players act on the bench. And those are things that I've always done. And, and, um, and the other thing too, I learned for scouting is when you go just watch one player at a time, sometimes, you know, it depends on if you're scouting, you know, a team or you're scouting a player, 
and little things like that I learned along the way. And I learned a lot from that, just watching one player, how he is, even when he gets off the ice and how he is on the bench and how he interacts with his coach. So I think networking, getting out there, learning as much as you can. You know, if you're a young coach, go down to Florida for the college convention and meet people and network and, um, and just outwork everybody. I mean, I, I had a year where um, I was leaving Cleveland and I wasn't sure where I was going to go. I thought I was going to get hired in Waterloo and then they hired um, uh, Chris Talk instead. And then uh, I, I just opened up the hockey magazine and I called every junior team out there and I didn't know anybody. And I just said, you know, Hey, this is who I am. Are you looking for a coach? But it helped me network. It helped me meet people. And um, I mean, it's, I think it's anything that you choose to do in life. If it's something you, you want to be successful at, you got to outwork everybody else. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Don't allow yourself to get outworked. So. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I know just what I said, but. Yeah, no, I think it makes perfect sense. And just the idea of like, you, you got to put yourself out there. You got to be willing to do things that are beneath you. And these are all things that I've heard from coaches at the top level, college hockey, junior hockey, national hockey league. They're all, they're all saying the, the same things as far as like, don't, don't get outworked and make sure as a coach, you need to be out there showing your face, shaking hands. Well, before COVID, I guess, shaking hands and doing all that stuff. But I think, uh, I think there's about a billion questions we'd love to ask you, but um, we can save those for another time because uh, something we love to do on here is have our guests back on and dive deeper into just hockey development and leave the game better than we found it. But um, before we do that for a next time, is there, is there anything else, any final thoughts before we get the big let's go from you? You know, you ask me like what I would, what I would advice I would give coaches to do that I did. But I think that that's a two minute question because, because there's, um, because I made mistakes along the way as well. And I always tell my players, like, it takes, sometimes it takes, you know, two days to get a label, but it might take two years or forever to break that label. So make it a good label. And I think the one thing that I learned um, was uh, when you're representing something bigger than yourself, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And I don't think I was really good at that when I was younger. I was single. I would go out. Like when I coached in Cody, I never go out if you lose. But we only lost three games at home that year. So, you know, I didn't go out three nights. Yeah. So, you know, and I yeah. had a lot of fun. But once I got married and, and, and have my son now, that changed a lot. But my advice is when you're, even if you're not doing something you think is wrong, when you're representing something bigger than yourself, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. And that would be the one thing that I, would, that I wish someone would have said to me when I was younger. And I, I would say it to younger coaches now. The fun part is the outworking yep. and all that stuff, but the discipline part, when you're away from the rink, you still have to bring that with you. Couldn't agree more. Um, Coach, we appreciate you coming on. We know how valuable time is, and with the season starting to get ramped up, we know it's even crazier for you, but we appreciate you coming on. One thing we love our, our guests to do, and you can get as into it as you want or, or not, but we just love our guests to give us a let's go. Got right. one for us? I'm a big Don Cherry fan, so let's go. Rock it to them. <laughs> Sock it to them, right? <laughs> Love it. We All appreciate right. appreciate your time. Is there anything else, Cameron, before we sign uh, off? Marty, we're, I'm super appreciate you coming on. It's great to connect with you again. We go way back. It's awesome to dive into hockey with you uh, after all these years. Um, if anybody's looking for – well, one, if they're a junior hockey player looking for a, a fantastic place to play this, this season, um, or they just want to reach out to you for some, some more questions or, or follow-ups, how, how can people find you or get a hold of you, Marty? Well, I – Coach Quarters at hotmail.com is the easiest way. So Coach Quarters is like my last name, or um, our website is um, www.riverkingshockey.com. And we're on Instagram and Facebook, and I have my phone number and all that stuff. So always available yeah. 24-7 as a hockey coach. People are like, oh, when can I call you? Like, but Better to call me late at night than early in the morning, but I'm different. <laughs> Some people are. Awesome. We'll put those <laughs> all in the uh, show notes for you, Marty. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. It was awesome to dive into your, your mindset on, on coaching and, and developing those programs. So appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you guys. Thanks. And keep up the good fight. Huge thanks to coach Marty quarters for coming on the episode. I think it was a great one. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it, but Marty, we appreciate your time. 
Uh, Danny, what'd you think? You want to, you want to jump right in three stars tonight? Three stars a night. It was, uh, it was awesome to get coach on, like I said earlier, but third star is just his idea of making hockey players better than they ever thought they could be. Like if my son or daughter has a coach that want, that makes them fit, be better than they ever thought they could be like, Holy cow. Like that's what you wanted at every coach at every level, regardless of what they are from mites to the NHL. And so that was definitely a third star for me. And then just his whole idea for a second star is, is being a good teammate and controlling the controllables as far as like what you eat, how you sleep and things like that. And, um, just giving more than you want for yourself. And that's what being a good teammate is. Like, I love that quote. I might toss it on the t-shirt, but he, uh, he knows what he's doing and there's a reason why he's in charge of a hockey team. So it's cool to, uh, it's cool to listen to guys like that. And I'm excited for that coach. What do you have for a, a first star of the night? First star tonight. I'm going to go at the end of the interview. He gave some great, uh, solid advice for other coaches out there. So I, like we said in the, in the interview, I've known Marty for a long time. He's had a long uh, career in, in, behind the bench of the multiple hockey teams at different levels from you know, USHL, North American League, AAA, D1, Tier 3 hockey. He's been around for a long time. And you know, he talked about the, the importance of building a strong network. And I think that's huge advice for coaches. He also talked about um, outworking, out-hustling other coaches and other people out there. And I think that that's evident in the way that he recruits players and helps work with those players to get advances. Um, and also, you know, where he opened up at the end is advice of, of recognizing that the coaches um, are representing something bigger than themselves. And he very openly admitted that he maybe made some poor decisions along the way as a younger coach and learned from those. And I can tell you right now, he's a, he's a stand-up guy doing great things for his um, small community of Wisconsin Rapids in, in Wisconsin, and, and he's doing good things by his his players. And so I think that that coaching advice he gave is a huge takeaway from this episode. Build a strong network as a base for for career advancement and, and, and building uh, those relationships along the way. Outwork people and realize that you're representing something bigger than yourself and make sure you're representing yourself the way you want to be known. And I think that's a huge takeaway from today's episode. So with that, I think that wraps it up. Anything else you want to add in there, Heater? No, uh, speaking of something bigger than yourself, show some love. This podcast is rocking and rolling. We're over 10,000 downloads now. People are, are enjoying it. So make sure you, you continue to show some love and um, smash that. I like to say cross-check that like button or <laughs> slash that like button and, and make, sure, uh, make sure we can continue to do this for, for the hockey world because at the end of the day, we're going to leave this game better than we found it. So appreciate everybody. And again, always reach out if you have any questions. Any last closing words, Coach? No, I'm right there with you, man. I will keep it rolling. I appreciate all the support from the sponsors, all the support from the listeners. Tell your, uh, tell your friends, your teammates, your fellow coaches, uh, and reach out with any questions you got. So we'll keep it rolling. I say let's go. Let's go. Let's go.